everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So on to this week's episode. But before I introduce our guest this week, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Peppy Health, which is a brilliant new business currently supporting the podcast. So Peppy Health is a one-stop shop for all sorts of practitioners that we might need through our parenting journey. So on the site, there is lactation consultants, physiotherapists specialising in both mums and babies, pre and postnatal, exercise experts and loads of mental health practitioners as well so what was so great about Peppy and why I was so excited they wanted to work with me is because they've really done the hard work for us it can be so difficult to know who to trust who's good especially at our time of need so go onto the site pop in your postcode there's a really simple drop down box of what you might be looking for have a look when you go to book someone pop in peppy 20 p-e-p-p-y 20 at the checkout and you will get 20 percent off so on to this week's episode it is with carolyn cowan who is a psychosexual therapist specializing in couples prenatal and postnatal addiction, trauma and recovery. She is also a kundalini yoga teacher and a teacher trainer. She runs workshops and retreats in the UK and all over the world. I found this episode really profound. I absolutely loved meeting Carolyn. She came over to my house. We had such a brilliant chat about modern motherhood. She introduces us to the idea of attachment therapy and theory and that really talks to what a lot of Dr. Gabor Mate was talking about and I know a lot of you loved that episode and we really focus in on relationships and that primary relationship and how that can change when we have children. I think that when you're a mother, when you're birthing a child, when you're pregnant, you're giving birth and you are the actual genetic mother or you've gone through the nine months generally process of adopting there's something that happens because the other person, the partner, the person that gave the sperm, the person that you agreed to do this relationship with, however that happens, does not have the same totally intense connection, usually. And we talk about this idea of contracting, which I know a lot of you are going to love. We also talk about, because I'm pregnant, what can come up during pregnancy? And Karen had a really profound take on that that I personally found very moving and I think will change the course of my pregnancy about how I'm approaching some of the things that are coming up for me right now. 
by the time you get to 42 weeks, you can't sleep, you can't stop your legs moving, your hips are killing you, you, you know, you're under a huge amount of pressure, you're the size of the Titanic, it's difficult. And then you're probably as blossoming as you'll ever be. The moment you go into labour, everything changes again. What I also loved is I got loads of new book recommendations. So Carolyn recommended, I think it was about five books that I haven't read, which to be honest, I'm pretty well read in this area. So I was really excited to discover those new books. And I'm gonna put those all in the show notes, which are on the website. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. If you did, please share with someone that you think might also enjoy it. Um, rate it on iTunes and pop over to Instagram where we continue in the comments, the conversations about each episode. So here it is. So Carolyn, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you for having me. Gosh, it's a privilege. Mm, I feel the same. I followed your work for a while. And I think what struck me is just the breadth of what you talk about and how much what you talk about is in my own personal experience. And you talk about addiction and trauma and conscious motherhood and preparing for motherhood. So when I was thinking about this interview, I could almost have prepped for six or seven podcasts, I think. Well, that's nice. I think that it's interesting what you bring in just the introduction because pregnancy can touch on so many of those things and so easily. And I think also that increasingly as we live this curiously sanitised life and we live this very sort of high technology life, the animal nature of pregnancy can be quite disturbing for some people because mm -hmm. it's such an internal physical process, just the pregnancy, and that's without labour and what you go through in giving birth. And my experience of it was a real letting go, actually. Yeah. And I think lots of women... As you say, in this modern world, it's not how we do things, is it? We control things. I know. I'm very aware of this thing where I've been watching this TV series called Elementary. Have you seen this? No. It's on Amazon and it's a... I'm not very good at names. I know the, the woman that plays Watson is a woman called Lucy Liu. And the man that plays Sherlock Holmes was married to Angelina Jolie. I can't remember his name, but... Johnny Lee Miller? Yes, and the way that they speak, the text is amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. What he says is phenomenal. He sort of talks about that whole way that we think now, especially the younger generation, we think because of the internet that we know everything and we have access to all information. And actually, when we come to pregnancy and how instantly pregnancy affects the woman and how incredibly viscerally and then the terrible statistics, because it's up to a third of pregnancies don't succeed, so the chances of having a miscarriage are quite high. I don't really believe that anyone is properly prepared in any way for A, for labour, and B, what happens afterwards. And as a teacher trainer working with pregnancy for the last, what is it, 15 years now, and I have a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old of my own, and I had both of them naturally, I don't think that we're very prepared at the moment now for what's about to come when we go through pregnancy, labour and birth. It suddenly, all of our sense of ourselves is scrambled and shattered and shredded. And it's a hard thing to say. And I can feel like, should I say it? And at the same time, I really don't think it's fair not to, not to warn, because it's not really about warning. I mean, I've got two children, I love them madly, but was it God's gift? I'm not sure. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. And there's 17 and 21. It's still, if I'm not holding myself, if I'm not present and here and calm and okay, they're not. 
And I don't think that's because they're kind of hyper-tuned to me. It's just the power of the mother makes such a difference to how everything else works. And that's a pressure that I think Disney and Amazon and Netflix don't really prepare us for. I totally agree. It's why I started the podcast. Good for you. I think it's great what you're doing. Because that's what I could see. When I was pregnant and I started looking around the information that was available, there was so much focus. The first thing that struck me is all the focus was on the child. And then the second focus seemed to be on equipment and things that we needed and what to pack in your hospital bag. And I was just craving like a deeper conversation about what might come up as you're saying yeah. about my sense of self yeah are my past traumas gonna you know I was deep into therapeutic work and recovery and you know mm. so this was my language this is what I was mm. interested in are you in 12-step recovery I am I've been in 12-step for 12 years fantastic god well done yeah I was so lucky really well I was done. 22 when I got in God, I thought I was young at 31. But at the age now where we crash so much earlier, well done. Yeah, well done. And also going through pregnancy and staying clean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, mine isn't substance, mine's process. Um, still. Not, still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was my narrative. You know, I was lucky. I think I'd been in recovery and lots of other therapeutic and healings and mm. seven, eight years when I was pregnant. Nice. And I just noticed this huge chasm of conversation. So everything that you're saying is so aligned to my passion. That I think it, you know, when I look at my own mother, she adored me, but she wasn't okay. Mm. And the effect that that then had on us. So that's where partly my passion comes from, is that I think, as you say, if we can hold ourselves, yeah, I think that's a different energy. It's interesting, lots of different stories have come in the room. You know, I mean, I'm a pregnancy yoga teacher trainer, but I'm also a psychotherapist and I specialise in sexuality and trauma and addiction. So I have a pretty broad brush. But funnily enough, those things can apply in all cases. And and I think it's surprising how many unhappy stories there are, especially at the moment. We live in a very curious world. You know, the new trauma is how much are we destroying the planet with our cotton buds and our toothpicks, you know? And we're really in a state of this fractured sort of Brexit and Trump and all the things that we see. And then we get involved, if we get pregnant, in this incredibly internal, intense thing that nothing, nothing out there prepares us. And then it really affects how we relate. It really affects our relationship. It really affects what we're brought up to believe. So I think with a big view, if I start with a big view, because I know you want to talk about relationships. Yes, that's what I was just going to queue up. So I've asked Carolyn to talk specifically with her experience and her hat on of a relationship therapist and a psychosexual therapist. Mm. Even though I could talk to you already, I could talk to you about millions of things. So talk to me about the relational challenges that come up through pregnancy, birth and beyond. Well, I think there's lots of different ways of looking at it. But if we take a transpersonal view, which is... Transpersonal is a very big view that kind of looks at it as an energy field of identity. So if we take a transpersonal view and we kind of go, you know, we're beautiful maidens and we're skipping through the fields, picking flowers and putting daisies in our hair and little skimpy dresses and we're chosen. Oh my God, we're chosen. You know, we get chosen and we get this fantastic marriage, whatever it is, however we partner up. And I'm not 100% heterosexual, please allow that this includes all kind of gender choices and gender preferences and gender identities always but we partner up we get chosen we partner up we don't necessarily have to get married and please don't think that married means marrying a man as a woman but at that point things change interestingly the hormones change I don't know if you're aware of this the moment we actually partner up the hormones change and 
a lot of us tie ourselves into contracts. We make unconscious agreements with our history, with what we've seen, and we find ourselves playing out roles. We watch what our parents did, we see what we were brought up with, and somehow we play that out, or we completely reject it. So we might find ourselves tied into all sorts of contracts. And gradually, our sense of who we are within a committed relationship or even a marriage, where the contract of marriage adds a whole other layer, we change. The relationship changes. It becomes more mundane. It becomes less erotic. It becomes less sexual. For most people, it becomes more mundane. And then along comes pregnancy, however long into the relationship or early. Choosing to get pregnant accidentally getting pregnant and if the choice to get pregnant doesn't work out then you've got to go through all of those hideous interventions which really affect sexual function and really put huge pressure on the relationship whether it's a turkey baster all the way through to IVF and assisted conception all of those things are really stressful on the relationship contracting with your partner if you're not married I'm assuming that people would do that if they don't know about it they should research it these things change who we are and then the minute we get pregnant we're a completely different person. We've stepped into a whole other world. And even if it doesn't work out, even if we choose to abort, we know we're pregnant. What other world is that? It's very interesting. I read a fascinating book last year called A History of Pregnancy in Christianity or A History of Childbirth in Christianity. Blows your mind, actually. It's, Are you Christian? No, I'm not, I'm not. I don't reject any religion, no, but I'm not actively a Christian. But the interesting thing about this book is it looks at pregnancy which is still in the 21st century controlled by the Catholic Church. A woman is allowed a soul, but she's not allowed to be enlightened. And the moment that she is pregnant is no longer her body. She is now a vehicle for the child and all her rights disappear. And somehow in our psyche, in our psyche, whichever culture we've grown up in, whichever religious process we've grown up in, in our psyche, there is something that happens with pregnancy. And we are profoundly indentured you know when you agree to be a servant you're indentured that's it it's no longer the same and even if it's the sexiest thing that's ever happened to you you pay attention this person these two people these three people even they know they start moving in your body they're eating inside your body you are serving them you are serving them you are a host and actually in the process of labor i don't know if you're aware on the mother's journey which is a pregnancy training i run Everyone who's given birth on the training we will have a conversation about what did you give your child. Each of us will have given a part of ourselves to our child. So it could be your shoe size, it could be a tooth, it could be your hair, it could be your hips, your rib cage, because all these things could be your pelvic floor, your vagina. All of these things we give to our children. We give our sleep. We give, actually, for a long time, we give our mental health as well. And I don't think there's enough awareness paid to how profoundly pregnancy changes who we are and the contracts that we are making with the universe. I think that when you're a mother, when you're birthing a child, when you're pregnant, you're giving birth and you are the actual genetic mother, or you've gone through the nine months generally process of adopting there's something that happens because the other person, the partner, the person that gave the sperm, the person that you agreed to do this relationship with, however that happens, does not have the same totally intense connection usually. And it's very easy to walk away. And I think that unconsciously we know that as women. And we know that it's our role. It's our job. We have now given ourselves over to the other and nothing will ever be the same again. So from the moment of conception, that starts to sink into us, that starts to embed into us, and it changes our relational space. It changes our sense of responsibility. And for women, it profoundly changes your future. 
it can't not because you're not free anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I grappled with first year of motherhood. I felt such a tension between loving my girl wholeheartedly but craving space and and freedom and not knowing what to do with that intensity at times of that tension. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think at times it can really express itself as a massive rage. If you can, I mean, I know for myself, I got divorced 10 years ago and my ex-husband just thought, well, that's it. You've broken the contract. I'm not going to do anything. And he left and he hasn't paid anything really since. And that's a really interesting thing. I do well. I can support myself, but I'm not going to spend money chasing him. But what it means is I'm left with this 24-7 reality that now with my new partner and I, we bring up these two children. But there's this extraordinary sense of, I can't ever walk away from that, even with a 21-year-old. You know, you're never not a parent. They're never not your child. Still so I think my the mother moment, today. Well, exactly. But I think the moment that you get pregnant, all of this starts to unravel. And unravel, I think it's there as a concept. I think we have an idea. We might look at people and think, God, what's that like pushing that pram, that big pram through a supermarket? What's it like trying to get that pram on the bus? What's it like when you come into my shop and you chip all the paint off the door? You know, all those things. But then suddenly we're that person with all the possibility of what that is. Now I've watched all those people. I've judged all those people. I've, you know, my friends have got pregnant and now all of a sudden here I am. And this is serious. And I felt such an overwhelming and profound sense of responsibility. Mm. And I had done a decent-ish amount of work on unpicking my relatively dysfunctional upbringing, you know, and and unpicking a lot of that through Mm. 12-step and other things. But I still felt, and I still feel it now, such a profound sense of responsibility. And then there's that awful thing where they're so safe in your belly. And when you give birth, you really feel like nothing is safe ever again. And each child brings its own kind of box of love. And you Mm. discover parts of yourself and these feelings. The risk that you take in terms of the love and the potential loss, it's a terrible thing. What did your two children bring and unearth in you? You said our children can bring different things to us. Yeah, I think... I mean, I teach pregnancy yoga and pregnancy itself as a process not only from a medical and trauma-based and scientific point of view, but I also teach it from an energetic point of view and a very transpersonal perspective. And each child will throw up inside you the things they don't want you to bring to their life. Each child will throw up things they don't want you to bring to their life. Yeah, so in your pregnancy, you'll find yourself hitting stories and emotional stuff that the child literally is trying to kick out of you so that you deal with it. Oh, do you know what? That's so profound. Have you not been aware of that No. Really seriously. Oh, my God. Because what's coming up for me in this pregnancy is my overworking. Ah. Really, to the point where I'm like, should I go to WA, Workaholics (laughs) Anonymous? You know, I'm not going to, but to the point where I'm like, I really notice my addiction to achievement and working Mm. the last couple of months. So you would say this soul inside me is saying, you need to look at this before you're a mum of two. Yeah. Oh, God, yes, because by the time you're a mum of two, it'll feel like you've got three. Yeah, and I can't. It's so much harder. Two is a phenomenal thing. It's not the same step. It's a double step because not only have you freed yourself up in a certain way because your first child is, what, two or four or how old? Nearly four. Yeah, nearly four, which is quite gap. Yeah. I mean, they they can lift their own glass of water. They can put their clothes on. They can do extraordinary things. And then you go all the way back and then there's all the changes where the first child kicks off the second child kicks off and then whatever your partner 
is feeling is also added into the mix. And I think for most women, that actually becomes your responsibility as well. And that's hard. That's really hard. There's so many ways we could take this conversation, but I'm interested in what you said last about taking responsibility for our partner too. Hmm. I'm assuming you mean emotionally and absorbing their needs, that codependency and putting that extra pressure on ourselves. Hmm. Do you notice that a lot through this sort of awakening as a mother? Well, I think it's interesting you bring the word codependency. I mean, I am 30 years clean in 12-step recovery, but codependency is very much a 12-step recovery process. And I don't work with codependency in itself because I find it a very judgmental approach to your emotional self. I work with something else, which codependency is based on, but I work with something called attachment theory. Yep. So attachment theory is a kind of way, which basically says, however you were brought up, in whatever way you experienced your primary carers, that will define, in general, how you attach to your primary partner. Brilliant. Break that down. I get it, but break it down. Yeah, break it down. So let's imagine that you grew up with a violently abusive parent who was sometimes really kind. That will create an anxious, avoidant attachment, which will mean you will not trust, and it will mean also that you'll be quite drawn to very chaotic people. There's lots of different styles of attachment. It's a theory that continues to evolve. And as a woman, sometimes it's a difficult theory because it basically says that it's the woman who's responsible for how the child develops. So it's to do with how you bond. Yeah, I know, it's painful. It's painful stuff to read about as a woman and as a therapist and as a woman with a history. I don't know what yours is, but mine is strong too. And so we really want to work out, are we playing out? You know, are we being our partner's mother and is our partner being our father? Because once the relationship settles down, that's quite often what emerges. And the intimacy issues that emerge in that create the resentments and the separations that come within the relationship where we expect the other one to behave in a certain way and they don't. We expect them to fix us and they can't. And we project our history onto them and make all kinds of decisions about them. So I think in pregnancy, we can be very emotional. Pregnancy can be really stressful. If you've had a miscarriage before or with bleeding or bad scans, you know, it's one of the most terrifying things in your life because you're carrying a person. Oh, the in vulnerability. Your body. I had two miscarriages before this. It's not, then pregnancy is hell. Oh, I'm really. You just don't trust yourself. And the cold fear is awful. I said to my husband, I said, I really feel like I would want to go for a scan every day. That's how I yeah. feel right now. Yeah. There's a lot on my YouTube about that. I have been watching. Yeah, because I'm a specialist watching. in fear during pregnancy yeah, and working seven, with pain and Carolyn has done, if anyone's relating to what I'm talking about, Carolyn's got 17 videos, isn't it? Or yeah, 17. for stress in pregnancy. Yeah, for yeah. stress. I've been watching them. So thank you for that. Good for you. Okay, so we were talking about what can come up during pregnancy, but more so what comes up with... In the relational space. In the relational space. So we're finding ourselves becoming increasingly animalistic, in a way, because we are an animal at this point. Our system is growing a child. Our alarm system is heightened because of it. And we may not be that same person that our partner chose. And that makes issues come up. It feels like a penny drop moment. 
Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, obviously for some women, you know, they just become more and more and more beautiful. You're swelling, you're glorious, your breasts are enormous, your nipples are huge, you know, and you can be having multiple orgasms in a day. You can be the sexiest thing on the planet. And that's fantastic until you lose your sense of humour because you're too pregnant. I know that sounds mad to be too pregnant, but by the time you get to 42 weeks, you can't sleep, you can't stop your legs moving, your hips are killing you, you you know, you're under a huge amount of pressure, you're the size of the Titanic, it's difficult. And then you're probably as blossoming as you'll ever be. The moment you go into labour, everything changes again. So it's a very interesting series of continuous changes. Labour brings about, you can have the most glorious, you know, Sonatum car music playing all the way through your labour, incense burning and, you know, lovely organic food. And equally, you can really not. You know, the saying is, you know, you write your birth plan and then you tear it up. Yeah. And the minute you have to have intervention, it's no longer your birth. And that's fine. That's what it is. But from the moment you've given birth, then it's, I think, a state of shock. For some women, up to two years. Overnight, you've gone from the most gloriously blessed creature on the planet to can't stop crying, can't stop peeing, feel like a, I mean, totally out of control. However you gave birth, if you've had a cesarean, you can't move. If you've given birth naturally and you've torn, you can't walk. Everything hurts. Everything, your nipples, your bosoms. You wake up four days later and you just look down and you just think, holy crap, nobody told me this was going to happen to my breasts. If you're breastfeeding, the pain is... Interesting, yep. I just winced. <laughs> I know, but it's very interesting, isn't it? Because it's literally overnight, you know, the blood that's coming from you really smells, you're covered in sick, and it's just nothing is safe, nothing is known. So it's a real leap. And I think that to ask a relationship to just go, that's okay, darling, anything you want, I'm here for you, and I love you no matter what. That's difficult because we're not going to be behaving in ways that really encourages I love you no matter what because we're freaked out, we're scared. Well, especially the rage you mentioned, I found that very validating because mm. I experienced some rage in the middle of the night when my husband was sleeping next to me. Mm. I literally could have murdered him. Mm. Yeah, and I think if you're breastfeeding and that becomes your job. I remember, I think with my first child, I remember... You know, there's always been this thing of being ecological and there was the whole thing going on about, you know, nappies are the worst thing on the planet, landfill, all that stuff. So my husband at the time said, right, we're going to go organic. And I said, OK, fine. And, you know, we're going to use washable nappies. So, OK, fine. OK, well, let's find some. So we found some, bought them. And then, you know, I started using them. They were a nightmare. They were a real bore. They gave those awful nappy rashes. And eventually there's this massive bucket full of used nappies. And I said... I don't understand. When are you going to wash the nappies? He said, I'm not washing them. I said, I'm sorry, I'm breastfeeding. I've just given birth. I think the least you could do is actually take care of the nappies. And he just said, no, absolutely not. It's just like, okay, fine, throw the whole lot away because <laughs> I'm doing enough. Now that's a small story, but an important story. And with your lens of attachment theory, would that be because your ex-husband had a mother who expected... Did everything. Very, yeah. Did everything. Yes. So and it's for him, it was a total shot that you were saying... Come yeah, on. Yeah, step up. And did you feel resentful as a result? Well, to me, I mean, at that point, yes, of course I did. But also I realised by then that fighting about that kind of stuff, there was no point. So I just threw the whole load away because it's easier. You know, we're just going to use nappies. You're not going to help. That's fine. And also I found that resentment at night. You know, I'm disturbing his sleep with the breastfeeding. So I just said sleep in another room. But it wasn't a fantastically happy marriage, but it was a good way to make it OK so that I wasn't in bed. I certainly went through a phase where I got into a sort of thing of wanting to be seen to be struggling. And so 
I stopped that by saying, I need you to sleep in another room. Then you're getting your sleep and at least one of us is getting some decent sleep and perhaps that will mean it'll be easier in the day for you to... What need were you trying to get met through wanting to be seen? I think seen wanting to be, to be seen that it was difficult, wanting it to be seen that it's fucking hard work. Sorry, that validation. Your, you can sorry. swear, it's fine. And wanting to be seen that you give up, you give up everything. You know, we're so trained to be educated. Let's go and get a university education. You know, let's get a degree. Let's be brilliant. And then, you know, let's get ourselves a fantastic job. Oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Oh, my God, don't tell HR because they'll sack me. Get myself sorted out. Then I'll tell them and then maybe it'll be okay. And then you've dropped off the ladder. You have your child and now what? The great news is, I know that's really a horrible thing to say on a podcast, but the great news is that I really do believe that each child brings their own bank account and that one of the biggest sources of new businesses is postnatal mothers. I am one of those statistics. Yeah, and me too. Because you suddenly realise that you've got to create, you've got to do... And also there's such a gap in, you know, in the healthcare, in the care for mothers so much psychologically, emotionally... You know, you also sort of go through a portal into a whole other world of what it means to be a mother that you just didn't know before you were. You suddenly wake up and go, oh, my God, I did not know I was so strong. Oh, my God, I had no idea I could survive on so little sleep. I didn't know I could bear so much pain. You know, you discover these things about yourself. And then, of course, you're not the same person. You're not that skimpy-dressed person walking through meadows, picking daisies and sticking them in your hair. You're a fucking tiger that will kill and grumpy and angry and you know it's not funny and it's hard work and it's a responsibility and I don't mean to put anyone off having babies I really don't but I think that we don't talk about the effects of these changes on the relationship so I think we're heading towards for me certainly making agreements with the partner around how you can support each other so what does that look like so I think one way through this is to agree and contract before the child is born. So if we were filming, I would potentially have a piece of paper and I would draw one oval, like an extended egg shape, and another oval shape next to each other on a piece of paper. So these two ovals, one of them would be you and all of your responsibilities. Not necessarily what you've already taken on as a mother, but the responsibilities that you already have. You might be responsible for a parent. You might have an unwell sister. You might have a job. You might have your own horse. I have no idea what your world is like. So that's your side. And then your partner. They might have a job. They might have other children. Who knows? Any number of things that's their responsibility. And then you have a central, smaller pod that you put in between those two. And that becomes what you agree to be responsible for jointly. And jointly is a really interesting word. So before pregnancy, you might say, could we agree that you will, for the first 40 days, because you'll get 40 days off, let's imagine, or two weeks off, could you agree that for the first 40 days you will allow me at least two hours alone? So you'll take the child or the two children or the three children out every day for two hours. So I will have two hours alone. Could you agree that if I express milk, you'll do at least one of the feeds? Could you agree that I don't have to empty the dishwasher for the first 40 days? Could we agree that we would split the housework because I'm now going to be at home. I know I haven't got a job, but this is full time. You're going to hoover every week. You're always going to do the bins. You'll clean the bathroom. Just that kind of thing. Yeah. And then I'd like one day off a week where you take over the children. So maybe if that works for you, that could be Saturday or Sunday because you're working every day or you're on shift work. One day a week where I can do whatever I want and you will take over. That's a really interesting thing. 
There's a very good book called The Fourth Trimester. Have you come across it? Yeah. She's really good at contracting in that book. She writes some really good ideas for contracting because obviously when you're listening to this, you want to watch what your brain does because you may have assumed a whole load of roles that you didn't contract. Did you contract that you would always be the one that cleaned? Did you or did you not? Is that what you just do without contracting? Because... In pregnancy, as you head towards labour, it's important to recognise that there's a massive shift that comes in. So just in terms of your own resentments and your own overwhelm and the tiredness, is to agree roles. And I guess you can do this at any point, even if you've got a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. You can, yes. And again, another very good book for that is a book by someone called Meg John Barker. They've written a really good book called Rewriting the Rules, I use it a lot in relational work. And it's all about the contracts that we make that we may not have spoken. I mean, as women, we tend to make contracts, you know, particularly if you're quite binary. So particularly if you head more towards the heterosexual is, I will be beautiful. I will have blonde hair. I will paint my nails. I will wear makeup. I will wear decent clothes. That might be a whole load of stuff that you've unconsciously agreed as a role. Unconsciously agreed. And there may come a point where you may say, actually, for ease of use, I'm going to have my hair shorter I'm going to grow out the streaks because right now with two children you know once a month at the hairdress for 120 quid may not actually be the most sensible way forward so I'm just going to allow myself not to do that I'm going to change my agreement that I have made in how I present which is interesting that kind of thing. So Meg, John, Barker, their book is really good in terms of contracting. I'm so interested about this contracting, but putting the attachment lens on it. Yes. So what can come up if you say to a man like your Mm ex-husband, I want you to do the bathroom? What do you do when that person, as you say, man, woman, whoever, says, no, no, that's not my job? What on earth do you do Well, getting then? across is kind of pointless. So what do you do then? I suppose if you can afford it, you get a cleaner. And obviously you want to look at what you're agreeing to. I mean, for me, the attachment issues within that relationship were, you know, my own history was an absent father who disappeared when I was a child. And then I married the man that did it again, which was clever and interesting. Very, very interesting. But I am very high functioning. And I decided that... Being with him was the opportunity to become who I wanted to be. So I just worked out how am I going to make this happen and I did it. And I started working again when my children were quite young, created a business and kind of reinvented myself. I think a lot of us do. I think that there can be women listening to this who really can be gloriously earth mothers. I mean, really gloriously earth mothers. You know, the whole thing is just a breeze and that's great. And equally, there can be a whole load of women for who it's not. So obviously I can't speak for everybody, but I think that preempting the postnatal phase, which I think you can assume will be about two years, is important. So I think that if you've been in a love bubble with your partner and now you're pregnant, I think it's really important to open that love bubble up and to make friends outside of your relationship because once you're responsible for a child and you're on your own in a house with a screaming child and you have not made friends, putting that child in a pram and walking down to Starbucks and hoping that you're going to meet somebody that you might be able to talk to is not a good thing. This is one of the saddest things that we can go through is that isolation. And so to avoid isolation, so go to pregnancy yoga classes, go to parenting classes. If you've come from an abusive background, go to parenting classes, page one. Anyone who comes to me with a traumatic background, I would always say, 
go to parenting classes, go to NCT classes. Why do you say parenting because classes? Because I think that if you've come from an abusive background, the chances that you'll repeat something based on your trauma are fairly high. And postnatally, you'll be triggered. You'll be very, very triggered because everything is unsafe postnatally. And that's not because you're in danger specifically, but your alarm system is on all the time. Nothing is right. Everything is overwhelmed. So, you know, if you grew up shouting and screaming or listening to shouting and screaming as a way of defending arguments and things like that, it's what you'll do. And it just creates more stress. The calmer you can be, the calmer your child will be. The calmer and the more relating you can be between your partner and your child, looking in their eyes. If somebody's asking me about the best route through pregnancy, I would say really limit mobile phones, never breastfeed and look at your phone. Limit. Why is that? A lot because, of people do that. Well, it's because it's about the gaze, the endorphins and the connection comes through the gaze. You and I connect with how we look at each other. And that's, you know, seeing the eyes, seeing the smile and that calm face of just, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. That creates an extraordinary intimacy that actually creates dopamine. Mm. And it's very blocking, isn't it, then? Well, if you're vice turned away, you. looking at your phone, you're stressing, you're jabbing at it, your attention What's the is message? That's why I, I often think to myself, what is the message I'm giving Jesse with my behaviour right now? Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a set amount of time and you say to the child, I'm going to play with you for two hours and we have a great time, and then I need some time, and that means I won't be engaging with you. I'm in the room, I'm going to be looking at the phone or the computer because that's my job. But then once I've done that and I've finished answering my emails, I'll be right back and we'll close it. I've always had a rule, no phones at the table. Hmm. And I How does that go having, with a 21-year-old? It's fine. It's completely page one, no phones at the table. We always have at least a meal a day together, if not two, and it's no phones at the table. So that there's proper talking. And really tried as much as possible not to use my phone when the child was small. Hmm. I mean, I work with computers, and well, we all do. Hmm. But I think you have to pay attention to attachment. Hmm. And the attachment is... Let me look at you. The child's eyes, the first thing they focus on are your eyes. And they want to do that because it makes them feel like it's safe. It's safe enough. So attachment is such an interesting thing. And again, I can, I mean, I'm the library of books. Do you know the continuum concept? No. Yeah, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Jean Laidloff? No. The book called The Continuum. It's got two U's. Continuum. Continuum concept. And... I did what's called attachment parenting. Do you know about attachment parenting? So, you know, long-term breastfeeding, sleeping with the child in a cot beside my bed with the side of the cot down, never having the child in the middle between the partners, but having the child separate, always carrying the child on my body, which doesn't mean you do have to have a good chiropractor or an osteopath bill, but prams that face you, they don't face forward, that kind of thing. And then my children went to Steiner School until they were eight. So they were very, very much attachment-based children. And it really shows now I have a very and good relationship you, and with them. Well, I was going to ask you that. An underlying theme for me through our talk has been blueprints yeah. of how we were parented. When yeah. you look at your 21 and your 17-year-old, have you managed to transcend your blueprint? I think without question, I have managed not to repeat my own childhood, which was indescribably hideous. And I've also managed to create two very well-rounded people. My son is on the Asperger spectrum and we've worked really well with that. And he knows how to manage it. He knows how to work it. And um, 
he's doing very well. My daughter was born very anxious because I had six pregnancies to have two children. So by the time she was my sixth pregnancy, that stress you were talking about with miscarriages, God, I've never been so stressed in my life. And unfortunately, you know, the stress hormones get transferred to the child, but that's okay. It makes an anxious child. But if you teach them how to deal with their anxiety, then that's cool. She's cool. She's clever and lovely. And we all get on really well. You know, I hated my parents, but my children and I and my partner, we get on very well. It's very comfortable. But I'm always conscious of attachment. And I think that to learn about attachment, to learn about the Cartman Triangle, do you know the Cartman Triangle? C-A-R-P-M-A-N. The Cartman Triangle is the basis of dysfunctional relationships. When a relationship is dysfunctional, when you're behaving dysfunctionally, when you're stressed and anxious, have you noticed if you're anxious, how old do you feel? Mm, young. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody will answer that question. Yeah. So if you think about how old you feel when you get anxious, you'll get thrown back in time into a much younger age. Yeah. And so then you'll behave from that age. You'll be making decisions about what's going on based on what you did when you were four or five or eight or nine or 11, depending on what's happening. Anger is the same. When you feel angry, you'll feel very young. You basically divest, undress yourself of your adult, and you become this child. And so attachment parenting or attachment-based relationships, looking at that lens, when you're triggered, when you're not in your adult and you're behaving from your trigger, you'll be playing a game which is victim, rescuer, persecutor. Oh, I know that's the drama triangle. Yes, it's called the Cartman okay, Triangle. Okay, I didn't know that. It's the drama triangle. So victim, persecutor, rescuer. So yeah. you want to watch, what am I doing? Am I being the victim? Am I persecuting? Am I offending? You know what's really helpful is my husband and I, we were super lucky because we'd done a few rounds of couples therapy and we did one round before we had Jesse and we both learned in depth about that triangle. Yeah, it's so and, interesting. And we'll say it now. I'll say, oh, I've got into victim. Yeah, I'm not in my adult. Yeah, I'm not in my adult. Yeah. And he'll say the same. Yeah. And it's, it's a brilliant. It's brilliant. Thing. And with my partner, I'll say, I'm pulling the safe word now. I'm not in my adult. This has to stop. And we both agree. We've made an agreement that the minute one of us says, I'm pulling the safe word, which there isn't a safe word, but you just say, I'm stopping. I'm not in my adult. It's just, it stops. That's it. No more can be said. I need to take myself. They need to take themselves. Adult yourself. Agree to come back. And this is the self-parenting. This is the self-parenting, and this is also stopping the offending behaviour. If you have been shamed, you will shame. If you have been offended against, you will offend, even if it's in being a hysterical victim. That is offending behaviour. And when you say have been shamed, you mean by your own parents? Yeah. If you've been shamed, if you've experienced bullying, abuse, those are all shaming things. I do very intense shame workshops, which mm. give people a massive, massive step up out of Maybe we'll do another podcast story. on shame. Shame is an amazing thing. Mm. It's extraordinary. It's a very extraordinary thing. And when we're triggered, we're generally triggered into some kind of sense of shame. Oh, that's where I go every time. And, yeah. I go to I'm not good enough. Well, that's shame. Shame is I am bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I run that. I've got another workshop in November, but you'll be with new child, so don't do it then. But, it's, but I run it twice a year, and it's a life changing thing. But look up the drama triangle or the Karpman triangle and read about it. Don't look at the winner's triangle because it's not appropriate right now. But if you start to learn about where are you, what have you just done? Because you're always usually moving between victim and offender. Can I ask you a question about this? I'm very lucky in that. My husband and I have been on a deepening journey together, different ways, like he's gone slightly down the more psychedelic route than I have. What do you do 
when as the woman or the partner you are doing this deepening work and your partner is just not there be the change you wish to see you can't take responsibility for the other person there's an interesting thing and maybe when we meet again we can talk about something you should have a look at this thing which is the four principles of relationship Mm -hmm. once you start with it it's so fascinating because it's all about how you project your childhood wounding onto the other which is actually how I began with this piece about relationship. We do, we project our childhood wounding onto the other and we expect the other person not only to rescue us, we also let them play out. We choose them in a way because they can play out what we didn't get. And then we get really angry with them. And then we get resentment. And then the intimacy gets changed. And then all of a sudden we're withholding and then we're triggered and then we're resentful. And then there we are. Welcome to the couple. Well, there's no trial. way I would have been still married to Guy had we not gone to couples therapy. Yeah, I think couples therapy is a great thing. Because I married an angry man. He won't mind me saying this, but he's quite healthy in his anger. But anger was never expressed in my family, ever. I never saw anyone angry, deeply unhealthy. But yeah. I married a man who gets very angry almost rageful and then it passes but what that was triggering in me was practically unbearable so did you read the dance of anger i haven't harriet lerner i haven't but very I good book. but That's i feel i feel like book. i've done some very good healing on that actually and but without a therapist holding that for us and me i absolutely would have left him because it was too much yeah because culturally as women our job is to hold the male anger Our job is to appease the male anger. And notice when you get on a tube or a train now or you move through public, notice if a man looks at you, you will probably automatically smile, which is actually one of the worst things on the planet that you could possibly do because it makes an instant invitation, but you appease. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you, Zoe, appease, but that's what we do as women is we appease our job. It's fascinating, isn't it? I feel excited about this episode and our conversation I'll put the links to all the books that you've mentioned, but I feel like people are just going to pick on one or two things that we've said and maybe go and explore Mm. or think of a different way of looking at things. But yeah, no, do pull out the books because the books are good. And And um, they're ones that I've not... I like to think of myself as fairly well-read in this space, but that's exciting to me. Mm. So exciting. I will go and read those Mm. that you've signposted, Mm. for sure. For sure. We've gone around and I've loved it, but is there anything particularly around this relationship with primary partner that we haven't spoken about that you would want to sow some seeds for people before we close? I think that if I'm working with a couple, one of the first things I'll put in place is five compliments a day. Even if you don't get them, give them. And not, oh, you look so nice, but not trite, but actually, I love it when you do that. I love watching you when you're doing that. You know, that colour suits you so well. Look at your hair, it's great. I love that haircut. Who cut? You know, it's just small things that make that person feel like you've seen them. So I would say that's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is that at night, don't look at your phones. Lie and face each other and whisper how you are. Whisper to each other. We're lounging on this fantastic, yeah. comfortable sofa. So imagine now if we're lying on a pillow and we're just looking at each other. How was your day? What did you do? It's so gentle. So intimate. It is. I notice I'm resisting it. Are you? Well. Now we're pretending to be lying down. And So how was your day? What did you do? What was your best bit? It's nice. Yeah, feels very intimate. Yeah, and it's about fostering intimacy. And also, I think, 
pay attention to needing to be able to still do that, even though you're overwhelmed and you're stressed and you're breastfeeding and your nipples hurt like fuck. And if you're in a lesbian relationship and you're the other partner, if you're not the biological mother in a lesbian relationship, look up how to trigger breastfeeding because you can massage your breasts every two hours in a 24-hour cycle. You really strongly massage your breasts. The non-biological mother. The non-biological mother. So the non-breastfeeding mother. Yes, yeah, so if you're the partner, really seriously wakes up every two hours and for 20 minutes massages her breasts, not like sexy massage, proper deep massage, you will trigger the process of breastfeeding and you will also be able to breastfeed the baby. And not a lot of people know this. And there was a piece about it in The Guardian, but it didn't tell you how to do it. I mean, I certainly know. I teach on the mother's journey how to do it so that both women can breastfeed. That's and that's amazing. Incredible. It's phenomenal. That makes it me want to have a baby with a woman. Well, I mean, I, I bring up my children now with a woman and I'm mm. a great advocate of same-sex couples, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. It's the best thing I ever did. But, hey, please, you know, we all make different choices. And so I'm not saying been anything i'm not saying been anything at all but what i am saying is you've got to be able to hold yourself so if your tendency is to scream and shout and be offending and be the victim or be the persecutor read about it and maybe take some steps to change it Mm -hmm. there's quite a lot on my youtube channel around releasing contracts yeah and your youtube's in the are body. brilliant and then vimeo i've got a lot more new stuff on yeah so vimeo i have a lot of pay-per-view content i'm actually about to do a series on um, pranayama for pregnancy i've got something like 27 different pranayamas for pregnancy wow breath manipulations that yeah, you I was can about do to say that's yeah. breath for people that don't know breathing to relax you in pregnancy Amazing. Mm. Well, we're definitely going to do a follow-up if you'd be open to. I'd love to. it. It's so nice to meet you. Good, yeah. It's and been, well done for what you do. It's important. It really is. Oh, and you do it in such a nice way. It's lovely. Oh, it means a lot. Thank you. So I ask every guest the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers out there in the world, what would that one thing be and why? I would give the gift of really recognising that pregnancy and motherhood, it is the gilding of you. It is the polishing and the honing of you as a person. And it is the way that you step out of being the maiden into being the woman. And I think it's not an easy step. It's not an easy step. But if you can learn to hold yourself, if you can learn to support yourself and take responsibility for yourself and not offend emotionally or verbally the other then I think you'll be a really great mother and we need great mothers we really need great mothers very powerful thank you so that's it thank you for listening to the episode I hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on iTunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on Instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful 
And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my program which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.